racing and then some <clears throat> i'm your host legendary randy erickson and if it sounds like i'm sitting in a room and recording this on my macbook it's because i am um, we were at a nice party with some friends watching their uh tim and marcy brumbo watching their uh video slideshow of their trip to new zealand last year therefore paulette was drinking wine therefore i left my truck in town and guess what? That's where my recording gear is. So, But I wanted to get this one out. This uh, podcast is with Andy Magnus. Um, Andy's a really interesting guy. Um, haven't spent a lot of time with him because he doesn't get to race too many times. But um, we did share a room coming home from Untamed New England last year, I want to say. So um, his... What we talk about and his training schedule and what he does is pretty interesting. It's definitely not going to work for everybody. In fact, his twin brother Jason says that the subset of people this training works for is one. But um, he's got some interesting ideas and some interesting stories. So um, I think listen to it. We'll put some links to where you can uh, get the get the book and. Uh, and racing and all that kind of stuff in the show notes. So um, I'm planning on having an episode next week, but we will be getting ready to go to Tahoe for the Tahoe 200 that Paulette's running and I'm shooting. So and don't be upset if I don't get one. <laughs> but we're going to give it a good shot. I got uh, some stuff coming up. Monday and Tuesday, some interviews, so we'll see if I have time to do it. Or I may have time while I'm there, so. Um, or I may just do wait and do a race one, so. Anyway, thanks for listening, and remember to go fast and take chances and uh, listen to Andy. So, yeah, there he actually, is. This, sometimes, yeah, calling, calling you on the phone works works better. So, yeah, sure. We're, we're good to go. So, how you been? I've been good, busy, but good. Yeah, so, um, well, there's kind of three things I want to talk about. Uh, sure. The You uh, and Adventure Racing, your book, and uh, North American Champs. Okay. So what do you want okay. to start with? <laughs> um, we can start at the beginning. We can start with the first one if you want. Okay. So. What did I say was first? Your history. So um, how did you get started adventure racing well um i got started adventure racing really through my brother um who i'm not sure if you've had him on here but um no the captain of the yoga soccer team (laughs) okay they're on the list sure um yeah and you know i i done um i have a background in mountaineering and and rock climbing and then I kind of found myself in in san diego uh teaching kind of having a full-time job and having less time to climb I'd gotten into a couple of uh, longer endurance races. Um, 
once I got married, my wife is a runner, so I've done a marathon and I've done, um, uh, you know, a couple of things like that, a couple of triathlons. Mm. But then my brother was getting into adventure racing. Um, and I think our first uh, adventure race was a gold rush, 24-hour gold rush back in 2005 or something, uh, 2005, I think. And then I moved to New Zealand um, and was teaching over there for a little while. And my brother had a fourth from his team drop out of Primal Quest. And then my second race was the 2006 Primal Quest. And then, you know, once once you do a race like that, you yeah. pretty much – um, you pretty much know that there's no race that's um, that's too hard. It's yeah. just a matter of how competitive you're going to be able to be. So at that point, it kind of became something that replaced for me what I used to get from climbing and mountaineering. So, oh. so that's so. Um, and I and I got a little background from the book. But how did you get into mountaineering? Well, you know, I got into mountaineering. Um, the the Going way back, it was it was Dungeons and Dragons. Honestly, I was into Dungeons and Dragons. My brother and I were big fantasy guys, and you know we loved uh, having adventure through this this role playing arena. And um, we were my dad was in the military, so we ended up in Alaska in high school. And it was a kind of a gradual progression where we took a couple courses um, or some some guided trips backpacking. Mm -hmm. out in the mountains and, and we kind of connected some of the fantasies that we'd been you know, living out and role playing. We were like, wow, you know, we get to equip ourselves and have adventures in real life. And we were scrawny little kids. We weren't athletes, um, but we, we had each other. And so it was, it was nice in that sense. We had a partner. Um, and then we just got into it. And by our senior year in high school, we'd taken some mountaineering courses at the local college. And then we both went to college together in Oklahoma um, and there weren't mountains there, but we just got full on into rock climbing and we'd go to Colorado every chance we got, um, to do some bigger mountains. And then just because it was the two of us and we always had this partner, we really had this mental connection as well. Kind yeah. of yeah. knew how the other person was going to respond. We got into some pretty serious stuff pretty quickly and learned, um, what we were capable of. And, you know, honestly, in terms of adventure racing, it's paid so many dividends because right off the bat, when we did that first race, that primal quest, I mean, it, as hard as it was and as challenging as, as it was, it was, it was tame compared to the situations that we had been pursuing on our own through mountaineering, just in the sense that, you know, the risk was, was minimal, um, in a lot of ways, you know, there were people looking out for you, there were aid stations and, you know, we were going on expeditions in the middle of nowhere where nobody knew where we were and if the shit hit the fan, that's it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So a... adventure racing were physically very demanding for us until we started looking at it and training for them. But the mental component, which a lot of people struggle with yeah. in the first expedition races, we just had from the mountaineering. So that's interesting. You know, I've found that a lot of uh, racers have come from a, uh, water background, either ocean or kayaking and stuff in, in, I think mountaineering's kind of that same way. You gotta, you're always making decisions to save, you know. Yep. And and when you get in an adventure race, yeah, it's a little hairy, but you can always sit down and and take a minute to think about it. So, right. You know, so I think people that are used to, yeah, go ahead. I I was just gonna say yeah, it's it, it's 
the, the reality of the situation, um, you learn how to deal a lot more with that uncertainty and that reality when you're dealing with, you know, mountains or, you know, people who are doing open ocean paddling and stuff like that. I mean, that's the real stuff. And my, my experience also in in witnessing um, people with different race backgrounds have been people that come from those sorts of experiences tend to be successful um, more easily with the mental side. Mm -hmm. Whereas you, you know, the other avenue I see a lot of people coming in is with, uh, either military training or from the triathlon sector, you know, these hardcore bikers who are really fit or, or runners or ultra runners. But, um, oftentimes those people are less successful initially because the wildness of an adventure race and the uncertainty that you have to deal with, uh, is is not really something that's found even in, you know, uh, marathon bike races and things like that. Yeah. I mean, those people, all their background, they're, they're following a path, you know, a course of some right. sort. And that makes life a lot simpler as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, Well, it, it does. There's a, there's a certainty of, of the passage being possible, and you don't really, unless you lose the course, you know, the, yeah. the idea is you don't, you don't get practice about being lost um, and, and things. And, I mean, I, I, I have found, I mean, I've met loads of successful racers who had their beginning in biking and running. And my thought is that when those people figure out the mental side and how to deal with the being lost and uncertainty, they tend to have a leg up because, you know, if they've pursued a sport at a high level earlier, then they really, you know, you guys, guys like Mike Closer, who is the the mountain biker, right? And when he Mm -hmm. got into adventure racing, he killed it because he Mm -hmm. was such a good biker. Um, But as far as the recreational team goes, teams go, you know, it's uh, people that have that background in real outdoors, I think, that benefit. uh, Yeah. Well, I think you probably said this on purpose, but in case it might have went by people, you you said um, knowing that something goes through makes it a lot easier. Whereas an adventure racer, you don't know if the way you're going is going to work. And that can be really hard. If you know, yeah, if I go up this mountain – no matter how hard it is, I'm going to be in the right place. That makes it easy. But if you don't know that's the right place, it gets really hard then. Right. And that's yeah. especially when you, when you go off, um, when you try to take shortcuts and, and I, I'm a big fan of, of taking shortcuts <laughs> whenever I see them. But yeah. oftentimes, you know, you have it, you know that, okay, if this is a shortcut and it's not the way that you can tell the race director probably had intended their course yeah. to go, it's probably going to be for a reason, and there's going to be some brutal terrain up there. So. Yeah. So, well, that brings me to one of my um, uh, truths in adventure racing. If you ever see a team doing something different that nobody else is doing, it's yoga slackers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it, right. You know, I don't know if it works all the time, but why not give it a shot, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, and that's and that's part of the fun um you know, for me as well, is that, that when you get into a situation, because of that background that we have in the mountains and going over real difficult terrain, um, for me, that's part of the fun. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes, even if I'm not going to gain an advantage, but I'm going to go a more interesting way and not, not lose time, yeah. man, I'm going to choose the, you know, I'll, I'll swim across the, the lake rather than go around, even if it's not going to be faster, just because, hey, it's cool to have done a swim in an adventure race, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I still remember you guys in the pack raft at Expedition Idaho was a brilliant move as far as I'm concerned to go across. Right. The lake. And, and and that probably saved some time too. I think it did. Yeah. And and even if it didn't, it was so much easier on your bodies than trekking around on that hot pavement. So. Yeah, and, and we we actually had a blast and and hiking seven miles each way to get to that island. Boy, that would not have been a blast. No, it would not have. So, um, do you think mountaineering with your brother made it easier mentally? Because you know, with with the two of you yeah. with that connection, I, I I think that that um, having the partner and having that connection, it would definitely made it easier. There's a lot. Um, you know, I've thought of, I've reflected on a lot as I've gotten older, the, the fact that um, that it's so interesting. Um, my experience being a twin, um, and I, I don't, I can't really relate. I can't really imagine what it would have been like to grow up and have to meet people and connect with them um, in a more ordinary way. Yeah, so, yeah. so having that connection certainly enabled us to overcome, you know, real challenges in the mountains and actually push ourselves at a pace in terms of, of the progression of our climbing ability and the, the difficulty of the stuff that we did, um, that was probably unusual. Um, we, you know, we progressed, uh, within a, a fairly young age to doing some really hard, noteworthy stuff in climbing. Um, and then because of that, I think when we came to adventure racing, I mean, we, we first learned about adventure racing, watching the eco challenge, um, like so many other people, yeah. uh, and I just remember when we watched that, this was after, you know, we were watching reruns, I think, and, and we had done a bunch of the hardcore mountaineering, and we looked at it, and we saw all these people whining, on, well, not whining, but, you know, they were, like, just desperate on these river crossings and in this tr- tough terrain. Mm-hmm. And we looked at each other and said, you know, we could do that. that that's, yeah. you know, we've been through way worse than that. And so, so we came into adventure racing with a, a mental toughness um, from mountaineering and climbing that most people take, you know, that are just coming in adventure racing from more mainstream sports, you know, take years or decades to develop. Yeah. So um, when you started then, what was it like when you brought in two more people to race with? Because you two obviously had this connection, but was it hard to find people that uh, could could keep up with you or cope with you? Or well, did they um, just it, follow no, I, you? <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't. Again, we did not start out. Um, with athletic gifts, we started out with mental gifts. Yeah. So, so we, um, so it wasn't hard finding. I think in uh, initially the first race we did, we were high school teachers. Um, both of us were teaching at a school down in San Diego, and we, um, Jason in particular, because he'd been doing a lot more racing at that point. He'd done you know dozens of races by this point already, but um, he put together a youth team. So that first race, we both led teams of students. So I was a captain, he was a captain, and we each had two other kids on our team. Um, and then we kind of joined up as a, as a big team of six halfway through the race. So so that that was just us leading kids to, into this experience. Um, in, in Primal Quest, um, we, we hooked up with a veteran um, who was pretty hardcore, Mark Latanzi. Um, yeah. and, and he was a great fit. And then we had the organizer who was Jen can't remember her last name, but, um, for that team and she was tough and she'd been training and she's definitely struggled in the mountains, but that was a smaller portion of that race. Um, since then, um, I have been challenged as a fourth on, on Jason's team. I've raced with them a number of times, yeah. um, but they've been pushing it at such a high level. Um, 
that I'd come in as a fourth, and yeah. that's always a difficult position to be in. They, you know, the three of them, the core three of their team, train together, mm-hmm. and now they've got a fourth. And I, but I know that's been a challenge for them is finding that. You know, when you want to compete at that level, there's not very many people that can compete at a high level in adventure racing. And so, I know they went through quite a few people before they, you know, they finally kind of got a core team um, that is is gonna do really well in the next couple of years. Um, yeah. So well, for okay, me, so, it's, it's yeah. oh, go, sorry. Go ahead. Well, so when you come in as a fourth, is it almost um, what do I want to like coming into a, a a strange team or it? I'm obviously the connection must still be there, but uh, well, it's hard it, to come in yeah, on a so team. It is, and and it, it's the challenge with me is that I've got that history with Jason. Yeah. So I I remember I have these these kind of funny. Um, memories of coming in to the team and and knowing what I was capable of because of everything I'd been through with Jason. And then you've got Daniel and Chelsea, and the three of them have been racing together, and they're so passionate about this, and they've been refining everything. But then I remember one time, um, I can't remember what race it was. It was a national championship, uh, uh, I think, and um, we're hiking up this mountain um, in the bush, no trails, uh, in the middle of the night, and uh, Daniel, who was one of the students that we did this, the, our very first race with, you know, so I met him when he's 17 and I don't know how old he's now, but he's a lot younger than I am. Yeah. So we're going up this, uh, this mountain. I'm using my trekking poles and he turns to me and he said, dude, we don't use trekking poles on this stuff. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, man, I was using trekking poles on mountains when you were still in grade school. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, it, it was just this issue where, I, I was the outsider, and I felt that because when things went wrong, they had this dynamic mm-hmm. that um, that I didn't share because of the racing experience they had yeah. together. But it was made complicated by the fact that I had done so much with Jason before racing was even a thought in our heads, yeah. and it was really hardcore stuff. And so there was a bit of a power struggle at times. Um, it took me a long time to, to recognize how hard navigation was because I yeah. never did it, and I would try to take over navigation, and another time I got us, I went in a big circle, you know, Jason was tired, and I said, I'll do it, I don't want to get lost anymore, and then I took us in like a, a two-hour circle, and we got back to a junction, this is in Idaho, I think, and and I just, yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so that happens, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, hey, Bob Miller went 180 degrees the wrong way once, so. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. So, um, yeah, so you've kind of kind of cut back on your, especially expedition racing. Do you do you miss it, or are you you know wanting to do? Well, you know, what what happened is is um since since they got a good fourth, yeah. um when when Eric Sanders of the fourth yeah. of their now who's really a, a fit guy um took him took them a couple races to break him in because mm-hmm. they pushed so hard yeah. um but but. Jason and his team have really supported. So we've now got a, um, a team that we call Yoga Slackers End Racing, mm-hmm. which is a regional team, and I'm the captain of that team, and that's basically formed by a bunch of folks um, up in the you know North Dakota, yeah. Manitoba um, area, who have and, and I've basically handpicked those racers from people who have done the races that I put on up here, yeah. and. You know, we don't do expedition races as much. I've got a family now. It's a lot harder for me to do that. Yeah, um, routinely. 
Well, yeah, it would, it's a different life. I don't. I mean, <laughs> it, it's got its own quirks, but it's definitely different. And um, and so we're focusing more on regional races and competing in the NAR series, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, but we did do one expedition. I think we did two expeditions last year. I did Wyoming, mm-hmm. and then we did the uh, North American Championship last year, which was in Belize. Yeah. Um, and we've got some really talented racers on the team. They're just people I get to train with. So I yeah. see these guys regularly, and that's made a big difference in my race experience. I always enjoyed racing on yoga slackers because they were so competitive, but it was harder to gel as a team because we never really, you know, I'd go down there for a race, and I knew that they, that, you know, they had so much invested in it because this is what they were shooting for, to be a top team in the country. Yeah. And we, and, and my team, you know, we're really still competitive, but it's a little bit different. We get to train together, um, and we're just starting out, so we're happy to do regional races. I mean, we still we still want to win stuff, right? And we yeah. still uh, um, do as. And right now, I think like we're second in the NAR series, which is still a relatively small thing because a lot of the top teams aren't aren't yet focusing on that as a series to race. Yeah. But yeah. Um, regionally, it, it's it's a fun thing to do to see our hard work pay off. So, so um, I still it, it's still what I choose to do. You know, the type of racing that I favor for sure. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Life, life is what it is, and you do what you do, right? And you're having fun. That's and right. You can't, can't hardly beat that. So, um, here, here's the question. And when I don't ask this, I hear people about it. So, um, the, your, it's two part question about adventure racing. Your favorite and your worst six hours ever racing. My favorite. <laughs> Just, not a yeah, six-hour race, just six not hours. Six, yeah, just six hours of you know some race because it, it's too hard to say what's your favorite race or you know. Sure, sure. Everybody has those um, moments, good and bad. Yeah, boy, that's. Uh, do I have to only pick one? No, um, no, we got okay, we so got there's, plenty of time. <laughs> there, there's two that that um, stand up uh, as as pretty bad. Um, one was the very beginning of Primal Quest. Um, 2006 after the run or after the horses and all that kind of stuff which is great we go on the canyon with the horse and then um once we dropped that horse off i remember we'd hiked about 14 or 15 miles through the desert and we had another 25 or something i think it was a 42 mile hike trek or whatever together and uh, you know so four hours into the race um i started getting hot spots um i was wearing a brand new pair of innovates that i hadn't tested that, you know, we got sponsored by the company, yeah. and and uh, so by midway through the first day, I had blisters, and I'm just I'm just thinking ahead at this 10-day race, and I just was absolutely miserable, and I just I couldn't wrap my head around um, the rest of the race. I was completely set to drop out, um, and just that trek through the heat of the desert and I'm good with heat. So the heat really didn't bother me. It was just the grit and the sand. And I just was, I hadn't yet got used to blisters by now. I've gotten used to blisters, but man, I just was like, this isn't, this isn't working so much pain every step. So that's, that's one. Um, and then the other one would have to be in Abu Dhabi, um, which I did, uh, with the yoga slackers team. Yeah. And, um, it was a great race. I felt so strong the first three days. The fourth day was overnight desert trek. Yeah. And I just remember kind of uh, hitting my limit uh, two-thirds of the way through that trek and just 
I wanted to be done. I was so tired that I couldn't do math in my head, and I was convinced that by going for one of the optional points that the team had, uh, that we were never going to make the cutoff. Um, and I just dragged. I just was, uh, had him put me on toe, and I just basically checked out um, for a long period of time. And, you know, I just remember using all my mental tricks to, to tell myself this will be over. You just have to shut down and just get through it. But it was it was pretty miserable. And I was yelling at the team. I was just saying, you're so full of, you know, and yeah. we're never going to make it. You ruined the race for us. And just, yeah, and they just, they were right. You know, they, I was doing the calculation yeah. in my head wrong and usually I'm, I'm a math guy. So, um, and they just didn't know what to do with me. I was just an, an ass. Yeah. So those are two times that were pretty miserable. Yeah. Um, six hour period. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and then okay. the best. Yeah. Um, boy, you know, I, I've had a lot of uh, good ones. One that sticks out, um, more recently, um, was, uh, one of the last long races. I did it was a 30 hour race in, Wisconsin called the Stubborn Mule uh, race and there was a time where we were paddling in the canoe and it was there were some pretty good rapids in the canoe some class three you know a little stretch of class three and then a bunch of class two stuff and we weren't expecting it to be this badass and it was it was super fun we were having a good race um we went and did an orienteering section that was really hard that a lot of people were getting lost on at dark we nailed it. We got back on the river, and then as soon as we got back on the river, it just started pouring. I mean, it was just a microburst, massive drops, and I just, you know, the girl on our team was just, should we pull over? What, what should we do? And I was just laughing because all of a sudden we were soaked and we were freezing, and it was just classic um, uh, adventure racing. It was awesome, you know. It's yeah. something yeah. that you'd never planned for, but you're out there. There's no re- no reason to pull over. You're already yeah. wet, you know. Yeah. What are you, you just do? gotta keep paddling, and and you'll get through it. And it was just it was a cool moment. We gelled as a team. We laughed about it. Um, and uh, and during that paddle was another time. We actually there was a riverboat on the river that we actually pushed really hard to catch, and then drafted behind for about five miles. So we drafted behind this uh, this big old riverboat that was taking tourists out there. And just hung in there and got kind of a I don't know if that's illegal or not, but they didn't say it was and so um, always yeah, so so that was yeah, yeah, so oh, that cool. was some fun that we had recently, yeah cool it, here's the thing that I don't know what how what you think about this about adventure racers, but almost everybody comes up with the worst thing first <laughs> I mean I find that a little a little strange, except I'm the same way because there's the bad things are so memorable that. To me, they, yeah. they are, yeah, and so. and they're memorable, you know, in a positive way. Like I have such fun uh, when I look back on those miserable moments. They're defining, yeah. right? So those are the times when you've been pushed the hardest, and mm-hmm. you've you've discovered more of your truth um, by necessity than you know. It's easy when you're having fun. So yeah, yeah, when you're walking down a nice trail and it's a bright, you know, seventy degree day, and you're, you know, your right. your nav's on, you just don't remember those, even though there's exactly. a lot of them. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, well, here's here's a great segue. So you were talking about the blisters at Primal Quest, and I think that's the story you told in your book, right? About getting through um, blisters. Yep, that's that is a story that I told. Yeah, I mentioned about that. Yeah, when I was talking about some of the mental aspects yeah. about how. Yeah, I so, did. I mentioned that for sure. There we go. So now we're into the book. Um, okay. 
check this out. I actually read it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, great. Well, thanks for doing that, Randy. Yeah. Um, although I think your brother posted that the, the list of people that can actually follow that training is one, you. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, I, and I, you know, I, I recognize that. It, it's, it's hard to, to say that in a book that you're wanting people to buy and read, right? But, yeah. Um, uh, and I, I think that, you know, my hope is that uh, one of the things that if people do read it, um, they they might take away is is just this idea that that traditional uh, training programs and conventional wisdom, what it tells you in terms of the time commitment for long events, is mm-hmm. is it's complete rubbish, and you don't have to do that at all. And you want to basically be able to, if you have that time, great. Otherwise, if you're willing to work hard. Um, then then you should be able to do pretty much anything you want, um, regardless of the time, as long as you can figure out that calculus. You know, the less time you have, the harder you got to work with the time you do have. Yeah. Um, and so really, it's been my experiment to figure out what the limits of that equation are, and I have personally found out that the, you can get pretty... Um, pretty low in terms of volume if you're able to, to hit that intensity um, way up there every time. And that's the hard part, right? That's for me what I recognize most people are just not interested or wouldn't be able to do um, yeah. Yeah. is consistently apply um, the, the, the energy and the will that it takes to suffer very intensely for a short amount of time on, on a regular interval. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I got out of it is is um, most people are not going to go to that level that they have to, even as if it is as as short as it is. But um, it was it was an interesting book to read. I mean, I you know, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do this because I like to go out for five hours and slog through the woods. But, um, you know, some and, interesting story. And, that, that, and, and that's yeah. Well, and, that, and I think that that's, that's exactly right, uh, what you're saying. And, and so that was something I think I talked about in the FH, in the, whatever, in the questions at the end of the book, is that um, I'm not suggesting, if, if, you, if people have got training that works, yeah. right, then, exactly. then awesome. I, I, it was really the, the initial idea of the book was a response to um, some feedback I got when I, I got on some triathlon forms. Um, and initially, you know, four or five years ago when I was starting to experiment with low-volume training, I still wanted to do this big stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was asking other people about what their thoughts were or experiences were with low-volume training. And basically across the board, I had people saying, if you want to do these long races, here are your choices. Don't do them or put in the hours. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was really the feedback, all the feedback I got suggested that this was, these were your only options. Um, and that I was a fool for were wanting to do, you know, an Ironman distance triathlon or a 50-mile run or whatever without logging the time and that I was basically looking for a shortcut. Mm-hmm. And as I've discovered, as I've, as I've been successful pursuing and, and competing in these, you know, ultra-endurance distances with this very limited training is that it's not a shortcut at all. I mean, it, it's a shortcut in terms of the, the less time commitment that's required, but um, that's that's hardly a trade-off, you know. It's not like you're getting something for free. Um, and and I tried to make that clear. It's really um, the doing high-intensity work is extremely demanding.
man, particularly mentally. I mean, I found that there's, there was a you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I, I can't do that. I'm only going to get injured. And that may be the case for the ranked beginner. But for me, it's actually helped me not get injured um, because my volume is so low that I, I never get repetitive use injuries. I don't, I, I don't chronically overtrain. Um, but mentally, it is very challenging. Um, and, you know, I, I talk about that a little bit in there, and I try to give some some ways for people to approach it at their own level. And, you know, I talk about how I use cycles, which is really important um, for my own training. I can't hit the same workout, you know, if, if I do a run for seven minutes, it's just agonizing. And then two days later, I'm slated to do that run again. I'm only going to get about two or three of those in before I just say, screw this. Yeah, um, yeah. and can't muster up that ability. So right now I, I work on a, on a three week cycle. So I don't hit the same workout, um, except for every three weeks. And yeah. usually that's, that's a pretty good amount of time for me to wrap my mind around doing it again, you know, and adding a little bit of intensity just to make sure that I'm continuing to progress. Um, so anyway, so I think, um, you know, first of all, people go get the book. Um, I'll put links up to it, but you know, I got the Kindle version. Reddit is cool, but um, tell people. I mean, you're talking low volume, high intensity, but they're probably not. How low is your volume? It's pretty amazing to me. Okay, so um, the the book talks about um, this five year period or six year period, I guess, where when I came back from New Zealand, and I, this is started leading up to the primal quest when I um, kind of got into trouble, not into trouble, but I was putting so much training in for primal quest that, uh, that it was impacting my family life. I had a new, my first son which had just been born and it was, it was leading to marital disharmony uh, among other things. And when I got done with primal quest, I wanted to keep racing at a high level and these big events, but I knew that I had to uh, do something else. I couldn't put in 10, 20 hour weeks. So starting in 2007, I I basically arbitrarily limited my training to three hours a week, which meant uh, you know I didn't I, and it was it was you know it talks in the book about how it's actually average over two weeks. So some weeks I do a little bit more, some weeks I do a little less, but basically three hours a week. Since then, in the in the next in the last seven years, I have reduced that as I've experimented more with too high intensity training, um, and I realized I could not do too high intensity training for that long and I focused more on getting the most out of every minute I was in the gym. Um, so it's, it's progressed and it kind of talks about lowering that. At the time I wrote the book, um, the bulk of it, I was down to one hour a week of training and now um, I'm kind of planning a follow-up book um, that's going to detail this, this next year. Since November of 2013, I've been uh, training 30 minutes a week um, and you know, it's, 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 it's been working for me when I was doing one hour a week, I did, uh, four or five races that year, including two ultra marathons. I did a 56 mile run and came in third in a race. Um, it was a lap style trail run. And that was on one hour of training a week. And only one of those, maybe two of them, I can't remember was a run. So I was running five miles a week, you know, five, five to eight miles a week. And then I was able to turn this phenomenal performance. And so it's, it's maybe I'm a complete anomaly, 
um, which is possible. But I'm I'm convinced that 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 there there's a payoff here. If yeah. you work it's hard, you're going to get faster, and when you get faster, you can you your endurance is invariably going to improve because everything's yeah. going to feel easy. For me, you know, I got to the point where I was running six minute miles or faster in training. Um, so when I go and I run nine minute miles, I can do it forever. Um, even, you know, 40, yeah. 50 miles. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but Hey, it works. Right. And, and here's out of the whole book, what really stuck with me and really made it, um, say, Oh, I get it is the jar of peanut butter. There you go. So, yeah, I love that analogy. You know yeah, and, and let's just tell people they gotta go read the book. To I was gonna say that's probably worth the price of the book right there. It, it is. I mean, it it just puts it. I think it kind of even if you're not doing the low volume, high intensity, it's still kind of how you need to train. Absolutely. It, it, that that's a good principle to to uh, to go with. So. Oh man, yeah. people are gonna hate this, but hey, whatever, right? <laughs> then yeah, we that's tell right. Them. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you're going to write another book, huh? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking to, about when are you going to get it down to 15 minutes? I, you know, I, I don't know that because right now I'm happy. You know, I got three seven minute workouts a week. Yep. And then, um, every third week I do, I, I bank that time. And every third week I do about a 35 minute race pace deal. Um, and seven-minute workouts is, I mean, that's about as low as I think I can go because those those minutes include warm-up. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the intervals or the high-intensity stuff. I don't count warm-down. And honestly, the thing about it is warm-down usually is me walking around, stumbling with legs completely full of broken-down tissue, whatever it is. It, yeah. The, the warm-down, it's not really warm-down, but it's about 15 minutes of pain following every seven-minute workout when I really hit it hard. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, if you add that to the time, it doesn't seem quite as yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's when you go, you, yeah, you go get a drink, you walk to the shower, you get cleaned up, and you walk out, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's to the point, usually uh, after a good bike ride for seven minutes, if I, I have to go downstairs, because if I'm on the second floor of a gym or something, yeah. I've got to hold on to the railing. I can't walk downstairs. <laughs> so, it's like I stuff. said. I'll take a video at some point and, and put it on the the website just of what this looks like, you know, um, actually. Because I think it would, yeah. Um, yeah, be illustrative. Yeah. So. You know what? And it would be short yeah. enough that people would actually watch it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. You could watch somebody agonize <laughs> for seven minutes. Yeah, it wouldn't exactly. be too bad. So. Yeah. So. So yeah. So people just just go get the book. It's 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 worth it. It's fun. There's some cool pictures in there, and um, you know, you got some good stories. So. Yeah. Do that. And so my, my goal now is I'm not sure yet if this is going to work, but um, the next race that I may do, other than a couple of, uh, you know, I, I have a nine-hour adventure race coming up at the, uh, mid-September, but um, I may try to do, I know this is like anti-adventure racing crowd, but I've never done a mud run. Okay. So I may try to do the world's toughest mudder, which is a 24-hour lap style yep. continuous mud run, um, just based on this 30 minutes of training and see where I end up. See that if I can, do. you know end up in the top third that'd be pretty cool yeah that would be a well quite honestly that's there's a huge market there of people that don't have time and want to do well so sure yeah yeah, that's, yeah. and that's that's really where you know I, I think the most endurance athletes although i imagine 
what I what I kind of see the market as is, you know, there's a lot of bravado. So some people might pick it up and say, oh, I want to do this hardcore training. But honestly, for me, the hope is that this appeal, you know, this lets people know that, hey, I, I don't have to. Um, well, cause, well I'll, I'll go back. One of the other things that, that is important to me and that I talk about in the book is this idea of of. Uh, racing is training and this mm-hmm. idea that, you know, you're getting, cause I'm still racing. I'm doing about five or six races a year and they're yeah. all long races and that's cumulative. So, you know, I don't care if I don't do as well at a race as I might like, it's training and it's going to help me do better at the next race. And so as long as I am consistent and I keep building, right. And I keep yeah. doing these races hard, that's, you know, I, I don't need to do a massive effort more than once every couple months, um, and and that those usually form my race experiences. And so I'm I'm not doing any traditional long training, yeah. Um, yeah. but but I've I've just just basically thought you know the the races the goal of the races is to have an epic training day, um, and usually that results in me doing pretty well in the race. Um, but ultimately, the goal is to to pave the way for a continued enjoyment of these long efforts. And, and that's, that's, you know, important to me. I haven't needed to, to continue to do, I just wouldn't be able to honestly, Randy. And that's, that's why I did it because I love what I get out of these long races. Yeah. But yeah. if I had to sacrifice what I'd have to sacrifice for 15 to 20 hour training weeks or even 10 hour training weeks, you know, I just, yeah. it, then it would not be fun for me. It wouldn't yeah, be exactly. Worth it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense to me. And in who has, you know, if if you ha- especially if you have a family who has ten or twenty hours a week to to train, right. you know, so and I, yeah, and, and it won't work for everybody, but uh, yeah. people can take take some of the elements and just pick up the intensity and uh, yeah. yeah. So so, so yeah. I yeah. I really uh, would hope some of the listeners would would get it and. Uh, how how long do you think it would take to um if somebody started doing this what do you what kind of a time frame do you think they would start to notice well honestly so for me the idea is it's got to be a commitment right yeah. and it's got to i i use this idea of maintainable based fitness so it's all revolved around me is creating a schedule that basically i can stick to that is not periodized so i don't look at okay the summer's my training and then the winter's the off season yeah. or whatever i just want to figure out if i want to be able to look at an event and say that's in two months all right i can be ready for it yeah uh, i don't want to have to do year-long training plans so i want to stay you know maintain a level of fitness indefinitely and i think that person starting out with this um is going to see a huge, steep um, performance curve just because application of high-intensity training, man, it's going, to, it's going to see a big difference. The challenge, and I think I talk about this in the book too, is, is when you, if somebody were to really start this, they need to drop everything else yeah. because it's really, really hard to do high-intensity stuff mm-hmm. to start out and to really figure out how to make the most out of shorter workouts and do longer stuff because you get tired and then you basically start dropping the intensity. You know, you don't go quite as hard. You think, oh, I'll just do it a little bit easier. But the the, the principle really relies on the fact that this needs to be pretty close to your, your level. I mean, you can't get at your max level, but it needs to be, you know, you need to be pushing that pain threshold um, consistently. And it's hard to do that when you're also trying to do a long run. So. Yeah. 
I, it's hard for people to let go of that. If they're already endurance athletes, it's really hard for people to let go of those long runs. But yeah, um, yeah. beginners have a benefit of not necessarily having that those bad habits, so to speak, um, or, or that be entrenched in that mindset. I, I think beginners, especially if they start with maybe you know a two or three hour a week uh, program, where they're really doing one brutal high intensity thing and then you know another tempo kind of thing. Um, man, I think that uh, it would not be very long before they notice an immediate improvement in their speed because yeah. that's one of the key things about using a consistent application of high-intensity training. It's hard. It's more difficult initially until you get used to what it feels like and you actually start liking that if you're twisted like I am anyway. Yeah. Um and and it really is a huge improvement in speed. Um, you know, even the easy, th- not the easy, but even the three-hour-a-week programs that I provide in the book, the sample programs, um, they really only have one brutal speed workout a week. But then then the long the long effort, you know, the hour to an hour and a half run, which is a little bit more towards traditional, it's hard. I mean, it's it's race pace stuff. Yeah. So you're not ever going out, and if you're training for a marathon, you're not going out and logging 15 miles at your marathon pace plus, you know, a minute, you're going out and logging 15 miles at 30 seconds under your marathon pace. So you finish and you feel like, you know, you, 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 you're ready to recover and you don't want to go out and do another run the next day. You know, I call it, it, and other people are starting to pick up on this, you know, this idea of junk miles. And I don't think that, that especially with a three-hour week program, I don't think that you have to worry about your body's ability to adapt. You know, people say you got to build this base, you got to build this mileage. Uh, you know, I don't have the degree that I know I'm going to get feedback where people say, "Well, this is this is how people have been training for years." Yeah, but 50 years ago, we're not training the way people were 50 years ago. You know, we, new stuff comes about all the time, and I think that especially if people do regular races, man, you're going to get that base. And and that you really don't need to do these long slow distance runs or bikes or whatever. That you need to be pushing pushing the 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 envelope and having more time in these higher training zones and less to no time in your easy zones. I mean, go yeah. go take a walk with your kids or go on a bike ride with your kids if you want zone one stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but don't don't count on this training. I don't know. That's just my that's just my philosophy. So. I know people are different, but that's kind of where I'm coming at with books. Yeah, well, it'll be. I'm I'm really curious to see if some other people try this and what happens. So, <laughs> I am too, Randy. I am too. Yeah. So, well, let's go on then to the year. Uh, you put on a whole bunch of races up, up in. Uh, I put on a bunch of races. And and you have yeah, the, You're in the best state because you have the greatest greatest name for your races because everything is end something because. <laughs> That's right, extreme North Dakota. That's right. Mm-hmm. The, the the best benefit for living in North Dakota, sort of, huh? <laughs> you get a cool well, name. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we got other benefits. One of which is that we have, like, the city I live in, Grand Forks. They have been, I can't imagine, a more supportive city. It's big enough to to have um, some some tax base from from some of the to, to, sorry support some special events, mm-hmm. and small enough so that it's not a, a nightmare. Yeah. Um, to deal with paperwork and stuff, but okay. um, we basically get some some great city support, you know, financial and then just otherwise in terms of printing signs and and uh, you know safety services, police and and uh, water safety for some of our events, um, and 
so it's a huge benefit. And North Dakota is a great place right now because you know we're we're rolling in it because of all the oil out yeah. east or west, which which is a whole different issue. And I don't know, you know, I'm not. I think there's a lot of problems with that, yeah. uh, with the oil and, and the speed with, with that which that's being developed. Which of course is not the topic of the podcast, so I won't go into that. But but just from the standpoint of what I'm doing and trying to bring races to the state that are these kind of uh, races that should draw national attention. It's actually a great place to live because the state has interest in improving kind of uh, tourism. And so it's it's been a positive experience. And it's one of the reasons, honestly, why I'm still living in North Dakota, having moved back from New Zealand, which is you know, an outdoor mecca. Yeah, um, that's a little, little and, and it's yeah. Uh, yeah, and and so we, we do. We have... Uh, I've, been able to develop. I think we've got eight races this year, and um, a number of them are are pretty noteworthy, including the the race that's the adventure race that's going to be serving as the North American Championship this year. Yeah. So um, let's yeah let's let's talk about that. That's uh, you know what uh, when is when is it where is it what are you going to make them do and is it all good? It's, is uh, it going to be well, seven I, I can't tell you all that stuff, but yeah, it's uh, the race. <laughs> The race is going to basically be out in the western part of the state, mm-hmm. in the Badlands area. Um, it's going to be based out of Kildare, which is a really small, historic town. Um, and it's kind of in the middle of the oil boom, not quite as much as uh, a couple of the towns further west. But um, And uh, it's a 36-hour race, and it's going to involve all the traditional disciplines, uh, you know, canoeing. Um, we'll do canoeing just because we have a lot of canoes, and it's it's uh, mm-hmm. something that we can get and, and make it fair for all the teams. Yeah. Um, it's the Midwest. We canoe. We don't kayak, right? That's, so, yeah, um, exactly. it's it's uh, canoeing, and then there's going to be lots of orienteering and and foot stuff, and then uh, biking. We're going to have some of the biking is going to take place on the Matahe Trail, which is a, a pretty much becoming a world-famous mountain biking destination. It's got a tremendous, continuous, uh, single 100 miles, 100-plus 100 miles of single track. Um, there's a, a race there they call the Monahe 100, which actually just happened last weekend, which is gaining kind of some national attention. Um, so it's going to take in some of that single track. Um, there's a place called Little Missouri State Park, which nobody has heard of, but is just breathtaking i mean it's it's like some place out of you would never believe if you just saw a picture of it you think it was in utah or something because it's these rugged um badlands so you got buttes and and fingers with massive drop-offs and ridge tops and it's all sandstone conglomerate stuff and uh it's really going to be difficult navigation there's there's a network of trail systems there um that provides you know 40 plus miles of trails and uh, again the navigation is just it's like trying to navigate in in zion or something um, the cliffs aren't quite as tall instead of a thousand feet they're 400 feet but it's it's pretty significant in terms of the, the topography and how how the ups and downs run into each other and so it's going to be that's going to be cool there's going to be some big water paddling on a, on a big uh, lake sakakawea um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, it's going to be a big race. Um, a lot of open country. Um, there's a, a lot of, uh, oil activity up there. So it'll be interesting. The races at night, we'll see all the flares from the oil wells all over the place. 
Maybe they can use those. That's a, a, an insider tip is you can use the oil wells for navigation at night. Ah, see? Right there. So, well, yeah, we'll put them on a map listen, so you yeah. can when you – Yeah, that's right. That's right. It pays to listen to your to your to podcast. podcast. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we're excited. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good race. Um and things are coming along. We're still waiting on a couple of the permissions for a few sections from the grasslands folks. But, um, yeah, we've got a pretty good course um, put together. So Yeah. Well, you but, know, and then there's that one added bonus that really adds to the, your race is it, that I'll be there. <laughs> that's right. That's a huge bonus. You're going to be doing some video, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. you know, can't, um, can't pass up – never pass up a race that's within, like, three hours of where you live. <laughs> So. Exactly. Yeah, because you're in South Dakota, right? Yep, down in Rapid City. So it's just yeah, yeah. So that's that's ahead. right. It's not actually too far from you at all. No. So right, you're just going to shoot right up. That's fantastic. Yep. That's exciting. Closer um, than Cowboy and Cup, it's real actually. similar. Well, and it, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And it's it's similar. I mean, your experience with some of the the terrain, it's a little different than the Badlands in South Dakota. I think that's more, a different type of rock. Yeah, they're yeah, they're um, not. They're even lower. They're you know really steep, but 200 feet right right yeah, so. um and so this is it's uh um it's i just was when i went out there to scout it last october i just was uh, enthralled with with the terrain that was you know five hours away from where i live in the eastern side of the yeah. state and i took my my oldest son out there and we just hiked all over the place and i mean there's just it's like a I, we joked it's like you're going back in time because mm -hmm. just uh there's fossils, you know, you see in the sandstone, these fossil beds, sometimes you'll see fossils. Um, just the way the, the landscape forms because of the water coming off when it ever occasionally rains and erosion, um, it's, it's, it's cool. It's like a dinosaur landscape with pedestals, which is like these rocks that look like eggs being held up on these pedestals. It's just wild. It's really a cool spot. Um, lots of colors in the, in the, in the rock and, and sage brushy type stuff in the bottom of the gullies. And it's, it's going to be, if it rains, it'll be brutal. So we're hoping <laughs> that it doesn't rain. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Um, but it might snow. Snow would be great. If it snowed, we'd love it because it just would make it, you know, it's going to be October. So we can yeah. get some cold weather in October. Yeah. We never, yeah. well, you know, last, last year, last year here in October 5th, we had five feet of snow. So, that was the storm of the yeah, century. Yeah, well, I, I don't want five feet of yeah. snow. That would make maybe a <laughs> dusting. <laughs> yeah, dusting. So it's just pretty, you know. You get yeah. a dusting, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, it sounds yeah. sounds cool. I think it. You know, I think some people, you know, kind of have an idea what the Badlands sort of look like, but I think this is going to be unique and and. Uh, it, it'll and definitely different. be worth. Uh, yeah, teams yeah. coming out. It, it's you know we get so many races held on. Uh, the East Coast, yeah. and it's great, but, you know, it's, I don't know how many land between the lakes, how many races have you seen there, right? There's yeah, yeah. loads of races there, and we there were championships there for a number of years in a row. Um, and it's great country, but this is going to just be really different. And the other thing I like about this is it's really going to kind of level the playing field because I, I remember I've done those national championships out there, and teams are saying, oh, yeah, we crossed this road last year or whatever, mm -hmm. and not that it gives an advantage, but in some sense, having a real familiar, familiar, familiarity yep. with the area, um, 
is something that does at least give a level of confidence. And out here, I don't think there's any of the uh, top teams that are going to be coming out. Hopefully, um, will have have been out here. So yeah, exactly. Be, yeah, every yeah level playing field, so to speak. It'll be a level playing field. Yeah. So, so okay. for sure. I got one more question for you before we yep. go. Sure. What What is something that nobody knows about you? Because in adventure racing, your teammates eventually seem to learn everything about you, but there must be something that that nobody knows. That nobody knows? Like, well, you know. You know I, I have to say, I'm, I'm in this unique situation where um, my brother probably knows everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he might not know some of the mundane details about stuff that has happened since I've been married and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But he knows all like the all the, the skeletons in my closet from my youth and whatever. He knows yeah. all those. Okay. So, yeah. um, so, so something that not a lot of people yeah, know about. Let's me. say that. But right. Here's here's an example. Mark Latanzi okay. used to teach ballroom yeah. dancing. <laughs> okay. So, all you're right. not a ballroom um, dancing teacher, are you? No, I'm not a ballroom dancing okay. teacher. I did teach swing dancing, and I did win a competition in swing dancing when I was in college. My brother's a much better swing dancer than I am, but he got me into it and I practiced with my girlfriend and we went to a club once and we we um we just entered this competition on a whim and we had this cool move where she did a handstand in front of me and then she her legs came up over my shoulders yeah. and I dipped down and lifted her back up and then she slid her it's hard to imagine yeah. but um <laughs> and yeah we did that and then we won the competition so that was there you go. It's a Mark Latanzi esque um, story, and that's something that I have not done in ages, and I haven't really thought about that um, in ages either. So, well, yeah, I'm trying have. to think if there's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, the the other stuff is, you know, just uh, there's all a lot of stories uh, from the climbing years that um, have nothing to do with adventure racing. We used to steal food out of bear boxes in Yosemite when we were starving climbers. Um, you know, there. So there you go. We'd go That's in and we figure, oh, these people have six packs of Oreos. They don't need six packs of Oreos. Where are they going to take one? You're you know, used to not, not, not the. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you have similar experiences. Yeah, I mean, well, okay. A couple of days ago, or last week, Chili Dog and I were out hiking, and she was acting a little hungry, and I was eating peanuts. So I dump a bunch of peanuts in my hand. And she'd eat half of them, and then I'd eat their other half. So that tells yeah. me I've been hanging around adventure racers too long. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Picking up food off the off the ground—that's yeah. not not an issue. I think that Jason actually stops whenever he sees food on the ground, even if he's not hungry, and just out of principle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. especially cool when we know that it's been other racers that dropped it. Because yeah. why else would you have a, a gummy bear on the middle of this dirt road? You know, out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Yeah, so, yep. it's pretty cool. So yeah, fun times. Yeah. Hey, this has been really great. I mean, um, you know, I I almost always say this has been a really great podcast because they they always are, but this one has been uh, a little bit different. I really like all the mental aspect and the stuff we talked about, and uh, you know, you're a little bit unique having the twin, but this is this has been great. So. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to have me on, and yeah. So and you gotta send me a link and I'll I'll put it up and uh, and hopefully get some of our folks to yeah I'll put to hear yeah, about I'll it post well. all the links to the book and and 
end racing and all that. This this yep. actually probably is going to be a couple of weeks before it goes out because um, yep. I want to be busy next week with Rogaine World. So he, sure, he, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, but yeah, um, just let me know when it goes out, and then I'll I'll help promote it as well. Yeah, through Sounds whatever good. way I can. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody. You know what we say: go fast and take chances. Thanks. That's right. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks bye, Randy. Yep. All right. Bye.